0: Good. Um, it's yeah, yeah. Oh. good evening. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, that was a crazy intro. <laughs> but I'll take it. You know, my style, it, it, that sounds really loud. Is that just me? Is that all right? Is that okay? Um, I did try pastoring, Uh, back in the early 80s, um, I hated it. Um, So I stopped. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a good manager. A lot of good things happened. Now, Is that all right? We all right? Okay. Uh, A lot of good things happened. I don't remember I don't regret those days. Uh, A lot of good things happened. We saw God move. A lot of incredible healings took place. Matter of fact, my number one guy that worked with me is now the pastor of a member church of about 500 people in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Um, And he started with me back in the 80s and is doing a great thing for the Lord now over there in Massachusetts. My job really is more marketplace ministry. And that's kind of what I wanted to share with you tonight about. Um, is that uh, you know, we as people I think sometimes we we see the church as we got this clergy sector and then we've got the laity sector I don't even know where that word came from but we named it and that's that's the observers that's all the people that are observing in the seats and, uh, and we got the entertainers up front and You're here every week to get commands for war. That's why you're here. You get commands for war. And then you go out and fight the good fight of faith. Faith is a fight. Did you know that? It's not easy street. Um, It is a fight. And uh, it's a bloody, bloody battle that we're waging. Um, So I want to encourage you with some stories tonight and just some uh, tidbits here that God put on my heart. I wanted to open with a verse. I think you're familiar with it, so I'm going to do another one. Um, In 2 Samuel 23, I'm just going to talk about this one fellow named Eliezer. Son of Dodai. The Ahohite. Don't you love these words? As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they haunted the Philistines, gathered at Pas-Damim for battle. This is Second Samuel 23, 9. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Now I want you To get unbiblical for a minute and think about that as an image in your mind. A man with a sword that he can't let go of, his hand is frozen to the sword. Now, I was a house painter for years, way back. That was the first thing I did after I got married, and I had my own company. And uh, I did a lot of the work myself because I enjoyed it. And there were days when you had to pry your fingers off the brush because your muscles would form into the position from cutting in all day or if you're doing a lot of window sash and you have to stop and you know do this imagine fighting a battle hacking people with a sword all day and then your hand is frozen to the sword. Now these three mighty men had one thing in common they refused to be enslaved by their enemy that's what they had in common. And they were just regular people, you know. They didn't start Mighty Man Ministries when that battle was over. They, they did something out of the core of their heart. Out of the core being inside of them. They did not want to be enslaved by the enemy. And so, while everybody else ran, here's one fella. He said, absolutely not. This is not happening not on my watch, not today, not ever. And if it is going to happen, I'm going to die trying to stop it. That's the kind of courage that we need. You know, when you think of the word courage, what do you think of? I think of a soldier running across a battlefield, dodging 50 caliber bullets and maybe taking a few, and then grabbing other soldiers, laying there and dragging them to safety. And people saying, wow, that guy's got courage. And when we think of courage, what do we think? We think of people that are bold and daring, courageous, not a coward, fearless. But you know what? Courage is not the absence of fear. Because if you got any one of those soldiers and talked to them and ever asked them if they were afraid, they all say yes. Of course I was afraid. They had machine guns pointed at me. Courage is the absence of self. It's not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. Courageous people are first selfless. And these mighty men were selfless. And they risked their lives for everyone. David was the same way. He was a shepherd, just a simple person. He didn't have any degrees, and he wasn't a theologian. Nothing really like that. He was just a shepherd. He's out there with the woolly little animals. And then he's up feeding the forces one day. And here comes Goliath taunting his God. And I just picture this, David going, what did he just say? You see, David wasn't special. He just thought Goliath was a jerk. It's that simple. Everybody else put up with him, but he wouldn't. What happened? It cut across something inside of him. This is what will make or break you in life. What is going on in the core of you, that core down inside? You see, there are certain things you put up with that 11 years ago you wouldn't put up with. Because you just get callous. You get used to it. You come here, you sing songs, you do your little jig and all that, and you go home. And then the world is where you're at all the time. And you're living and you're engaging and you're doing all that. It's real easy to do Christian stuff in here. It's really hard to do it out there. But that's where the fun is. And I can speak from experience. Experience. I do a lot of consulting with individuals, families, corporations, mostly 80% probably corporate, 20% just regular folks. Um, And in the course of consulting, I come into various situations and I'm a Christian. And so there's certain things I'll do, there's certain things I won't do. There's certain things I'll say, there's certain things I won't say. And in the course of this, I was consulting with an individual, he's the third largest construction firm in New York City. They do things like build Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. So very high-end work. And I was working with his management team and with him as an entrepreneur, and uh, he got excited about some of the things I was telling him. He said, would you like to profile my wife? This happens all the time. And I said, sure. So I did. And then they invited me to their home. So I went down to New York, and I spent time in their home. I had dinner with them. And uh, as we're talking, we're sitting at a kitchen table, and we're talking, and the Holy Spirit comes. Now, they don't know God, or they don't know me, really. And I just looked at them, and I said, would you mind if I prayed for you? And he went, excuse me? (laughs) What? Would you mind if I prayed for you? Now? Here? Yes. Okay. What do we, how do you do that? I said, well, let's go into the family room. So we got up, we went into the family room. And the, she sat down sort of next to me, and he sat over here on this, like a love seat, And uh, I said reach your hands towards me And they put their hands out And I took both of their hands I said come Holy Spirit And they both broke down bawling (laughs) Weeping And I just prayed for them from my heart As a, a professional consultant And I just started praying for them I got a letter from her a couple months back And she said we were in therapy for 18 years And nothing happened. And we've had the best three years of our life. And people on their streets started calling me. Like neighbors. (laughs) Noticing the difference, what happened. You see, that's the power of God. And we are called to take what we get here, or really you should be getting it at home and you get it reinforced here. And go out and to carry it with us as a part of who we are, not an event. Like a lot of times we do servant evangelism or we'll do a Saturday car wash or we'll do all that. But this is about all. I'm talking about a lifestyle. And if you're going to move into that, there's three things, and I've got them all beginning with R so you'll remember them, that are going to help you in this transition of being a person that is exactly the same out there at work as you are right here, like this. And I have the authority to talk about it because I do it every day. The first R word is responsive. You have to respond to God's initiative, and you have to be responsive to the world's initiative too. You're in the world, you know. You live there. You watch its movies. You eat its food. You work with its people. And you're one of them. We're all the same on this earth ball. Responsive. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to toward him. He's looking for people like Eliezer, who's committed in the battle to the point of where the hand is frozen to the sword. That kind of commitment. I was painting a house one time, and I'm up on this ladder, and I didn't like the lady that lived there. She weighed about 400 pounds, and she was mean and a little ugly. Okay? And she was always, I don't know what it was, agitating you. She always had negative things to say about everyone, mostly her husband. And I used to think, God, I'm so glad I'm not that guy. That's what I used to think. And so I get a call from her and she says, I told my landlord that you're a painter and I'm gonna get you a job of painting our house. And I'm like, oh God. See, part of, you know, the next one is real. That's the other word, being real. I'm real, okay? I'm not churchy, I'm real. I did not like this lady. She was ugly and mean, okay? You think it, I say it. All right. So, I'm painting. I'm up on this ladder. I'm looking in a window. She's sitting on a chair facing the wall with a walker in front of her because she was so big, her legs could hardly hold her up anymore. And she was just staring at a blank wall. Terrible decorator. There was nothing on the walls. And she's just staring at it, and I'm up there painting, and something hit me that hasn't hit me since like quite like this i was shaking so hard i i didn't know if i could get off that ladder without falling and i'm like oh no because i had a funny feeling it's the holy spirit interrupting me at work again and so i'm like what now this is my this is what i'm thinking And the holy spirit this is what the holy spirit said to me i want you to go down there and knock on the door when she comes to the door i want you to tell her i'm going to heal her of her weight problem How would you like to be me? You know, I made this commitment. I'll hear and obey. I told my wife this. I'm going to hear and obey. That's like my new New Year's resolution. And so I'm like, oh no. You know, I'm in this catch 22. What am I going to do? Well, I'm like, I got to do it. Well, how, what do you do? Hi, you're fat. I'm going to pray for you. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you get that point across without getting yourself killed? You know, and that's what I was wondering and I was trembling and so I put everything away, I washed everything up and I, I'm roguey, my clothes are filthy, I've got whites on but they're not so white and I knock on the door and I'm standing there going, God what am I going to do and she looks at me and she goes, yes can I get a drink of water you know, that's what you want to do you know <laughs> I said, "Can I come in?" And she just stared at me. Okay, she kind of, kind of hobbles aside, and I go in. And I'm like, oh, "I cannot believe I'm doing this." I'm like, "In the house now. I'm committed." I go over and I sit down. She sits down across from me, and I just looked at her. And I got—I was so beside myself. I just said, "I'm just what? What am I going to do? I'm just going to jump off." So I said, "I was on the ladder." God spoke to me. He told me if I prayed for you, he would heal your weight problem. And I just sat there staring at her. And she starts crying, weeping, bawling, heaving. And this is what she said. Three days ago, my father died. Three days ago. He went to the grave hating me because I'm fat. I was hated by my father because I'm fat. One day, she said, I fasted for a week and gained weight. She says, it's like leprosy. I can't even go to the store. And I'm staring at her. Yes, she says, please pray for me. Can you imagine that story? And you know what my prayer was? I just cried. That's all I did. I just started crying. I didn't like her, now I love her. It was the weirdest thing. It was like I went into a phone booth and now I'm Superman. Super love. I don't know what happened. It just changed. And I started to cry. I was sobbing. And sobbing. And I start as I'm talking, sobs. Lord God help her. Just I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I'm started speaking about a diet. I'm talking about different foods, not to eat, what to eat, what not to eat. I'm not a dietitian. It's just coming out of me like prophecy. About two months later, we were moving to Massachusetts. This was in Florida, and I lived near her, so she knew where I lived because I told her when we worked when I was working there. And I had a big rider truck in my driveway because we were moving. And uh, her and her husband drove right up on the front lawn, right on the lawn with the car. And I'm like, my God, what the heck? And he rolls down the window and he goes, Stephen. And I look and, Bob, hey, what are you guys doing here? You're moving, yes. He gets out, his wife stays in the car. He comes over to me and he goes, give me your hand. And I shook his hand, and he he leaves a $100 bill in my hand. Now, these people are on Social Security. I go, Why are you giving me $100? (laughs) He said, Because I don't know what you're doing or what you're going to do, but I want to be a part of it. He goes, My wife's lost 40 pounds since you last saw us. That's never happened in her life. That's me at work. That's at work. It's not at the altar it's at work now I don't get all presumptuous and stupid and just like hey I'm gonna go just talk to people and tell them stuff I'm open to what God's doing and then I join him I don't invent something ask God to come along and then look like a moron I wait and I think and I'm always open always open and that's what you have to do you have to be open and, and, and honest with people and not look religious and weird. You just point blank. God told me he wants to heal you, this is why. So we got to be responsive to what God's initiating, not only with his, what he's initiating, but to the people around us what the initiative is for. You know, it talks about in Isaiah, it talks about, what, chapter 12, I think. I didn't mean to bring this up, it just came to me. Uh, uh, Drawing water out of the wells of salvation. So salvation is like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You ever heard that? And then it talks about in, what, John 7, 37 and 38, it talks about rivers of living water flowing out. But this spoke he of the Spirit, with they that believe should receive you and all that stuff. Remember that? Rivers are for others, the wells are for you. You live off your own well. It's an eternal well. Like Silver Springs, Florida, 900 million gallons a day in Silver Springs, Florida. 900 million gallons a day. It's a big, huge boil, and it looks like the sands like this. It looks like it's four feet deep, but it's oh it's, it's almost 100 feet deep. And it looks like you could touch the bottom. It's so clear. It's called Silver Springs. And all the boats have glass bottoms. 900 million gallons. Every time you dip a cup in there, it's like brand spanking new. Like you. Like your spirit every day. Brand new. Every second. Renewed. Regenerated. All the time. That well. Well, the rivers are for all the people around us. Remember Ezekiel 47? The rivers going down into the Dead Sea and then what it do? Made everything alive. Remember that? So the rivers are to make people alive. Not so we can exercise our gifts in front of people and go... I can't believe I got that gift now. That's so awesome. It's so that we can make dead people alive. So that God can use us and that us, we can be a conduit so people can come alive from a dead state, a dead religion, a dead family, a dead job, dead things. God is calling us out of a gathering mentality and he's calling us into an invading mentality. A gathering mentality, like here, it's not—it's it's not a bad thing, but if it's everything, that's a bad thing. So that we can go out with an invading mentality, out there, because that's where all the—that's where all the action is. Did you know? I just got this statistic: Dallas, which is where I'm living now. I just moved there like a couple of weeks ago. My house is just boxes right now. It's total chaos. It's the most Christianized city in the nation. Dallas, Texas. Here's the rest of the statistic. It's the least affected. It's the least changed. Okay, it's the most Christianized city, but nothing's happening. Prostitution, same. Drugs, same, growing. It's the least affected. It's the most Christianized, least affected. What? What? Well, it, my, you know, a six-year-old could do the math on that. No one's doing anything. No one's affecting the city. God wants us to affect the world. How big is your world? It might be like six people big. It's called a Frank list: friends, neighbors, relatives, associates, kids. Frank. It's a frank list. Why is it the least affected? I'll tell you why. Because we don't know how to respond to God's divine initiative in Dallas, apparently. And if we try it, the world doesn't know how to respond to us. I tell people all the time in my consulting business, Stop being professional as a manager and stop being personal. Everybody at work's got to be professional. You can't touch people. You can't hug. You can't, you can't do any of that. And I go in there and I just smash those barriers. Like, get up and hug that person. What do you mean you can't hug? They were trying to draft a law in Massachusetts. No longer can children sit on Santa's lap. One bad apple don't spoil the whole bunch, girl. Huh? Can't sit on Santa's lap. See, it's getting to be a touch free society. But you see, they're so busy trying to be professional, they're not personal. They're no longer human. The same thing's happening in the church. We're so busy trying to be Christian that we're not personal. We're not vulnerable. We're not real. We're not open. How you doing, brother? Fine, brother. How are you? Good. I've got a six-year addiction to porn, and it's still going on strong. That's not what you say. You say, I'm doing great, brother. How are you? Huh? How are we going to fix this stuff if we're not vulnerable, if we're not real? We're fakes. I'm not saying you're a fake. I'm saying a lot of people are fakes. And you see, and the Holy Spirit is wanting to stir up the soup. Stir up that stuff. Here's the transition. Number one, if you're going to change from being ineffective to being effective, you don't have to have a license to preach. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a microphone. All you need is hands a mouth a nose eyes two legs and a heart after god and people that's it that's the qualification plus the ministry is designed to equip you to do all the ministry well how did it get switched around we sit there and let (laughs) oh he's a minister well what are you Um, i guess i'm an observer (laughs) you see what i mean i we got to get this right you know i used to be a pastor remember that and I'd run into people, oh, you left the ministry? Oh, you left the ministry? Dude, I got more people saved at Walmart than you've had in church. What the heck are you talking about? I went to the projects one time, stood up in a chair, spoke for four minutes, and 35 kids came to Jesus. And I left the ministry? What, I don't wear a suit now? I mean, what, what are you talking about? You see what I mean? You see how we think? We've got to change that. Number one in the transition, you've got to die the death that counts. You have to die the death that counts. You have to have a funeral for your self-image. Huh? You have to die to the titles. You have to die to your authority. You have to die to your badge at work. You have to die to your parking spot. You have to die to everything that gives you your identity. That's how you identify with Jesus is quit identifying with all this other stuff. But you see, if your identity is in that stuff, then when that stuff is gone, you're a nobody. If your identity is in Christ, well, he never dies. He lives forever. Then you're all right, forever. So you have to put your identity in a place where it can't be corrupted. It can't be killed. None of that. Most people's identity is in what they do, not in who they are. That means you're a human doing. you're You're no longer a human being. Human doings get all wrapped up in what they do. And if they do a good job, they're a good person. If they do a bad job, oh, the devil's on me. The reality is, you are who you are. You are what you are. And God loves you that way. God loves you as you are, not as you should be. And we're working on getting to where we could be better, right? That's the goal. And that's how God does it. And when you're okay with that, remember in ninth grade psychology, I'm okay, you're okay, remember that? I'm okay, you're okay. I'm not okay, you're okay. Ooh, you need counseling. (laughs) Ninth grade psychology. Jesus says you're okay. You're so okay that he died for you. If we can take that message out there, that's the message nobody's hearing. And it's like, you can tell the gospel to a postmodern person today by tweaking it a little bit, and it's like they never heard it before. Because they never heard it like that all right death that counts you have a a funeral for your self-image you got to close the chapter on everything that shaped your identity that's what you have to do you have to die to that all right next thing you do remember what paul considered everything that was a prophet to him what he call it rubbish rubbish we try to capitalize on it he considered it rubbish and that's what god wants us to do consider that stuff rubbish Number two, got to go into the wilderness where you're always tempted to turn back to what is familiar. Just like the slaves leaving Egypt, always tempted to go back because you're far more experienced with what you did than you are with what you're going to do. You're far more familiar with your history than you are with your destiny. Everybody in here I want to say this to everybody in here. There's so much more that you're supposed to do. There's so much more. Well, I'm 90. Caleb was 80 and he kicked somebody's rear end right off a mountain. It doesn't matter. There are no barriers. There are no barriers. No barriers at all. And God wants you to affect the culture not only affect it, transcend it in amazing ways. And everybody in here has something you are supposed to do. There's something you are supposed to do. I would pray and put together five-year plans. Like, i got to find out what I'm supposed to do. I know this isn't all of it. And I'd go down front and get prayer. i got to get some... Da. I can smell it. It's out there. I can feel the wind. It's blowing in my hair. I know there's more. Lord, thank you for what you've given me, but I know there's more. I, where's the opportunity? Where is it? It's at the door. I can't hear it. Come on. Knock. Do something. Move. I've always been like that. The next thing is being real, genuine we need to get real with ourselves we need to get real with God that's hard to do I'll never forget years ago this was years ago I was walking through the quarters of a church and a man walked by me and he goes how you doing brother I said terrible and he kept walking he was the guy that went all the missions trips he was about 60 He'd been there the longest. He was an elder. You know, the list is big. Kept walking. Terrible. He didn't want to know how he was doing. It was a greeting. Genuine. Authentic. Remember First Peter? He talks about your faith, although more precious than gold, as, as a tried in a fire. So that your faith—these trials will prove your faith genuine. Genuine. I wish I had more time. I could tell you some of the things I've been through. And in as Isaiah the prophet says, "I have chosen you out of the furnace of affliction." There's places in your life where there's affliction for you. You've been in affliction. You grow out of those places. Those afflictive, it's just, it's, just, it's just awful. I've been through things in the last six months. If I told you, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. My dad just left my mother. He's 74. He's got a 6 year old woman living in my parents' home and kicked my mother out. She's 74. They've been married 53 years. He's cheated on her for 54 years. I used to have to get on a plane and go cast the devil out of my own dad. Now my mom's living with my sister, weeping every day in California. Lost it all. All she wanted to do was have a home. All she wanted to do was have a family. My father used to be a pastor. Pioneer Pastor of the Year with the Assemblies of God. 1973. We were on the cover of the Pentecostal Evangel. And my dad was sleeping with the secretary. And when I was over her house playing with her son, he'd say, don't tell your mother I was here because I have a surprise planned. And I just thought there was going to be a surprise, so I didn't say anything. My youth pastor was gay. He tried to molest me took me to Virginia Beach to go to the Church on the Rock, whatever the heck it was called. I was all excited. Wow, I can't believe he's so interested in me. This is awesome. The youth pastor loves me. He's chosen me out of everybody. Then wanted to go skinny dipping and all kinds of crazy things. I was weeping and crying in a tent, scared to death a 14-year-old boy. I was either going to serve God like crazy or be an axe murderer. <laughs> the furnace of affliction, stripped down to my underwear in the seventh grade, locked in a six-inch locker, put on a combination lock, and left me there. That was gym class. And I could see God up the now going, there's one right there. He'll work for us. He's got no pride. Huh? You got no pride. For you see your calling, brothers, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the wise, the base things, the things which are despised, the things which are nothing, to bring to nothing everything that is, so no flesh can glory in his presence. God's looking for nobodies. And if you think you're a somebody, you're not going to get in the fun. And now I'm telling CEOs all over the world what to do. I should show a picture of me in the locker. <laughs> huh? Isn't it great? I spoke at MIT on June 4th to 68 entrepreneurs, all making over a million dollars. And I looked at them and I said, I'm going to open myself up right now. And I told him about the fight I had with my 16-year-old son. He's 18 now. In the attic. A scream fight. Yelling. Ah! Blood in my throat. I yelled so hard, I was bleeding. My throat was bleeding. I'm a high dominant. And my son's yelling back, You're weird! You're so weird! He's yelling, You're weird! Because he wouldn't help me stack the wood. I thought he didn't like me. If he did, he'd help me, right? Until my son sat down with me after and says, Dad, I'm 16. I just got this game for my Xbox. It's Christmas week. I'm on vacation, and you want me to stack wood in the attic. I mean, take a look at the picture, Dad. It's not personal. And I'm I'm bawling. Because of all my issues from, you know, God knows what, all piling up, he's consulting me. Sixteen years old, climbed up in my lap, held me. We cried together. Changed our relationship, like, incredibly. And I'm telling this to all these entrepreneurs. And they're just, like, jaw-dropped. Because I wasn't even dressed up. Afterwards, they came to me one by one. Sixty-eight of them wanted to send me to sign the book. They're all there. And a girl looked at me, tears, you know, her eyes flooding up, going, You're me. I mean, I got letters, I got emails. This changed my life. So now I've got a doorway into the heart. So now when I go to do some consulting with them, there's an ast- he's real, he's vulnerable, he's safe. And now I'll get to say anything. I'm just preparing the way for Jesus by just being, I'm a human being with a bunch of junk just like you. I'm not better than you. You probably all make more money than I do talking about those people at MIT. But I can help you. You see, that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to be real. He's calling us to be relevant. He's calling us to be responsive to the divine initiative and to be responding right to the people around us. We've got to die the death that counts. We've got to put to death our self-image and everything we're putting our confidence in and put it in Jesus and go out there and be normal. Not glassy-eyed, hovering four inches off the ground, speaking in tongues, but normal. But the power of the Holy Spirit in you so that people are like, what the... Let me end with this one story. I had a, um, I had a couple, I I was an individual. He wanted some business consultation. So he came to the office and I'm talking to him and we did, I ran a profile on him and he goes, I wanted my wife to do this. So I did her. And it was like a tell of the hun and the wife. And he was like, you know, sweet pea. And so I'm like, I already know what's wrong here. And, uh, we all met together and during the course of the conversation she jumped up, dropping the F word screaming and yelling, spinning around in the office runs out, slams the door and he looks at me crying going what do we do now? I'm thinking, sucks to be you that's the way I was feeling <laughs> I'm thinking, this is a disaster <laughs> we don't want to go home with her I mean, she is hot right now. Well, she forgot the keys. She was going to drive off and leave him. She has to come back in. She comes back in. I convince her to sit down. And she sits down on the thing. And I looked at her. I didn't know what else to do. So I go, do you believe in God? <laughs> I had to pull out the big guns now. I don't know what to do. I said, do you believe in God? And she goes, I used to until my mother died. How old were you? I was just little. And he he took my mother. I said, let me get this right. You're telling me that God was walking around in heaven and said, hey, there's a cute little girl. Oh, there's a cute lady there who's got some cute little children. Let's kill her. Won't that be fun? I said, is that what you're telling me? That's exactly what I said to her. And she looked down and said, like this. I said, do you want to know a God that doesn't do that? And she said, yes. I said, will you pray with me? She goes, yes. And her husband goes, what about me? (laughs) One year later, they're helping run the Alpha program at a church that we were going to. what about me people want to be saved they want to be saved they're all out there waiting for us to come in the door and be bold enough to go do you believe in god you nut and then it all opens up it's wonderful lord i just thank you so much for these precious people I thank you, Lord, for these few minutes where I've had an opportunity to share some experiences in your word and just some fun stories about how, God, you're so creative in the way that you interact with us in the world. I pray right now that you would bring an anointing into this place that would cause every one of these people to rise up and be so stinking different that their co-workers don't even recognize them. And it's not a weird different. It's an amazing different. And it's something that causes something inside of them to say, I've got to change. I've got to have something. I've got to have, so what are the heck are they drinking? I've got to have it. And Lord, I just pray that that spirit right now would just fill this place. And they would have a boldness that they've never had before. They would have a boldness that is so strong. But it's, it's a courage that's not a fearlessness. It's such an absence of self that they're completely pulled from the equation. And they no longer care what they look like or sound like. And they just mimic you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You're welcome. We say thank you to Steve tonight for um, his ministry. And. Uh,